How do you know you're up to date? When you follow EMS World, you answer that question with confidence. Because when we say EMS World, we mean the whole world of EMS. The remaining question for you is how will you stay up to date? In print, online, at EMS World Expo, the world's largest EMS dedicated conference, and now in a podcast. Welcome to another episode of EMS World Podcasts. I'm your host, Mike McCabe. Today's episode is sponsored by Braun Ambulances, built for life. Braun is celebrating the rollout of their new impact airbag system. Visit Braun at www.braunambulances.com. How often do we hear the term scene safety in our industry? It's part of our regular checklist as we approach a patient or an incident. Sometimes what we fail to realize, however, is the term scene safety is one with overarching reach and meaning. How much time do we actually spend as providers inside the ambulance as opposed to outside of it? I would argue quite a bit. Given this reality, the term scene safety without question should cover, and I might even argue, be replaced by the term response safety. We have gone down the rabbit hole of vehicle safety in past episodes, but recent data released by NHTSA had me wondering, have we become proficient at conveniently ignoring facts and reality? With me today are two gentlemen who will try to shed some light on this age-old question. Mr. Jim Green is a safety engineer from the National Institute of Occupational Safety and Health, or NIOSH. Jim is going to bring to the conversation a little something called facts. His job is to research and conduct studies which outline best practices in ambulance safety. Also with me today is Deputy Chief Cedric Palmasano of New Orleans Emergency Medical Services. One of his many tasks is ensuring the safety of his personnel inside the vehicles they ride in. He has the daunting task of specking fleet orders and taking into careful consideration the latest and greatest safety measures offered that can be included inside these ambulances. Safety is such a general term in our industry. Cedric, why do we continue to struggle as providers inside our ambulances? You know, I, I really, I don't know why um, we're struggling for the safety inside the ambulances. The, the facts show that we're doing, a, a, you know, we're not doing as good of a job as we should be. Um, as policymakers, we can make policies until we're blue in the face, but until we change the culture of the medics that are working inside these ambulances, uh, we're not going to be doing them any, any, uh, any good. Yeah, I, I agree with you completely. I mean, like I said, we have had these, uh, we've had these conversations in past episodes on many different fronts with many different agencies and many different people. And, and the same thing comes to the surface all the time is that we are our own worst enemy when it comes to safety. Uh, I think you nail it as far as culture is concerned. The question is, how do we begin to change this culture? And I think that in our industry and with, with our like-minded people in EMS, sometimes cold, hard facts are what necessitate or bring about this type of change. And Jim, you're the conscience in the industry needs, right? So just the facts is what you're all about. And maybe these cold, hard facts are what we need. Ambulance manufacturers are doing everything they can to develop safer ambulances for us as providers, but getting the providers to buy into these safety measures and, and utilize them is the biggest challenge. So 
Jim, I don't know that our industry understands all of the research and testing uh, that goes on in the background. And so maybe you can talk a little bit about NIOSH and what it does and and what you've been involved with recently. Sure. I'd be happy to give everyone a little background. So at NIOSH, our job is to help make other people's jobs safer. So whether you're a roofer or an agricultural worker, or in this case, an EMS worker, we're supposed to find ways to try and help you do your job more safely so that uh, you make it home in one piece. So we were introduced to the EMS world uh, in 2001. And what we initially saw was a very high level of workers riding unrestrained. And so our, our initial project set out to try and change that paradigm. And so we initially looked at it as the idea that a paramedic has to stand, reach, uh, be able to access the patient, and initially targeted some restraints that were actually used in the military, uh, my former employer, um, in helicopters. Same rectangular space, same need for movement, we thought they could be applied. And so we started down that path with crash testing of restraint systems that would allow you to sit or stand. And the same kind of testing is what you'd see in a TV commercial for uh, Chevrolet or uh, Mercedes, when you see crash test dummies uh, slamming into a wall. We did that kind of work. But as we were doing that work, we found many other places that needed attention in the back of an ambulance. The patient cot was a real challenge. We had our dummy on the cot, sliding 30 inches off the end of the cot, even with the old shoulder restraints. And the production cot uh, antler that everybody's familiar with wasn't really designed to handle true crash loads. And as it turns out, that was true for most everything in the back of an ambulance. All of those components, whether it was cabinets or equipment mounts, seating or cots, largely fell outside of the crash regulations that apply to our cars and vans and SUVs. And it uh, simply was a fact that they are much heavier than the limit that NHTSA regulates. So as we did our work, people really started to uh, see what we were doing and join in. Department of Homeland Security uh, provided truly millions of dollars of funding to us and a couple of other groups. Industry joined in with me, so we partnered with the Ambulance Manufacturers Division of the National Truck Equipment Association. Cot manufacturers, Ferno and Stryker partnered with us, as did seat manufacturers, EVS, WISE, and others. And together, we walked through a very lengthy crash test program to try and improve the uh, products in the back of the ambulance. So today you now have available to you crash-worthy seats that meet most of, if not exceed, the requirements for your automobile seats. The same is true with the patient cot and equipment mounts. So the opportunities are there uh, for people in Cedric's position to be able to acquire safer products, safer tools for you in the back of the ambulance. Of course, as he mentioned, If they're not used, they uh, haven't helped you very much. So we really want to encourage you to look at those opportunities to protect yourselves, whether it's by buckling up yourself in a seat, 
making sure shoulder harnesses are on your patient and stowing uh, equipment properly. No more oxygen cylinders between the legs of your patient on the cot. I applaud all of the work that has been done to show just how dangerous we are in the backs of these, and not just the backs, the fronts. I'll be honest with you. There are still drivers and passengers responding to jobs that are unrestrained. To me, it makes absolutely no sense. I have no idea how it happens, but again, we're our own worst enemy. And I think that something that I was looking at recently uh, through NHTSA were some statistics that came out. And what was interesting about this is it was a uh, it was a dual study here, one that showed uh, a time frame between 2012 and 2018. But prior to that, we had almost two decades worth of uh, data from two, 1992 to 2011. And basically, it just broke down vehicle crash uh, data. It, it showed from 92 to 2011, 4,500 vehicle traffic uh, crashes involving in an ambulance. Um, 84% of the EMS providers in the patient compartment were not restrained. All right. So, you know, I'm just taking a couple of these data points here. So 84% were unrestrained. But then if you go to 2012 to 2018, obviously more recently, and certainly not as much of a sample size, there were 173 fatal crashes and 91% of the 34 EMS providers in the patient compartment were not restrained. So 91% as opposed to 84%. So how, how are we actually worse as the technology has gotten better? How are we worse at protecting ourselves? That's the question I have. Hey, Jim, maybe you handle that a little bit, um, you know, from a regulatory standpoint and as standards, you know, as far as the standards that are out there, in your mind, and again, you're outside of the industry, right? You're, you're not a provider, but how is this happening? Well, that's, that's a really good question, Michael. And I do think education and awareness is a big piece of it. Um, but, you know, from the standards perspective, what the standards have tried to do is build flexibility for design. And uh, so you have a couple of levels of standard that tried to do that for you. Uh, the work that I did resulted in individual component test standards. So a new test for a seat that requires the builder to build a crash-worthy seat that retains the occupant, a new standard for the cot, for example. So in total, uh, there are 11 of these individual component type standards that we wrote. They all feed into larger, what I refer to as bumper-to-bumper standards. Many of you have heard of the Triple K from GSA. It's been around a long time. NFPA has an uh, automotive ambulance standard, and the newest one is provided by CAS. I'm associated with all three of those in one form or another. And in general, all of the unique, specific to a seat or a cot test standard have been incorporated into all three of those bumper-to-bumper safety standards. So in Cedric's position, he has the ability, depending upon his state regulation, to utilize that standard to procure an ambulance, as would listeners on your on this uh, podcast. But you still have to get your workers to utilize those tools. And there's one other piece that I want to throw out we haven't talked about in our earlier conversation is that Ambulance builders also have been provided with some tools to help them make your 
ambulance more flexible. So you can do things now like putting a captain style seat where the bench seat is and put that on a, a short track that can allow you to get closer to your patient while staying restrained. That's an option for you out there. Just like these powered cots are options to reduce lifting injuries. So uh, taking advantage of the tools that are available and then uh, you know, once implemented in your ambulance, using them is a, just a fundamental opportunity to improve safety. And, and Cedric, you know, bringing you into the fold here, the, the work has been done. The data has, is out there. The manufacturers are doing things to make the vehicle safety, and yet you have the onus of carrying this out to make sure that you are providing the safest environment for your personnel on a daily basis. Uh, congratulations on having that task. <laughs> Thank you. It's, uh, it's actually a very <laughs> momentous task, and it's one that we take very seriously. You know, let, let's face it, the, the most important asset or the most valuable asset that we have are our staff. You know, the medics that are out there running the calls every day. Um, they're the most important asset to us, and we have to do our due diligence to make sure that they are safe. You know, buying, buying a, a strong ambulance that is crash worthy is just one piece of it. You know, we have to incorporate education and training um, you know, we utilize uh, crash videos from our own ambulances uh, in our emergency vehicle operations uh, yearly uh, mandatory training. Um, and we are also utilizing <clears throat> um, camera systems that focus inside the cab and outside the cab uh, that will show when medics are not wearing their seatbelts so that we can give them the coaching that they need to try to, to change that culture. You know, just recently we, we moved from one vendor uh, to another vendor. And, and one of the reasons why is the previous vendor of drive cam that we were using uh, wasn't giving the medics that real time feedback that I think is needed to change or modify behavior. This new system that we're using is actually giving them feedback as they drive. Um, I think that's one of the things that's going to help us change the culture of safety inside the, the, the ambulance. Uh, the only problem is, is it doesn't show what's in the back of the ambulance and, you know, therein lies the problem. <laughs> exactly. That's the hotspot. That is definitely the hotspot. And yeah. that is probably where we are most non-compliant. But we do have policies in place that say that you are supposed to be wearing your seatbelt. Everybody in that ambulance is supposed to be wearing the seatbelt. And the operator of the ambulance is responsible to ensure that everybody is wearing their, their seatbelts. Absolutely. And, I, and I, maybe let's dive into some of the innovative approaches that have been uh, taken in the industry as far as ambulances. Listen, we've certainly come a long way. Jim referenced it before about the oxygen tank between the legs and everything else and the antlers for the cot restraint system. We've come a long way, but there are so many modern type innovative approaches that are in there now. So angulated cabinets and um, now airbags and things like that in the back compartment. 
you know, all of these things that are put into play are better for us and safer for us. The question is, how do we know about these things? How do we learn about these things? You know, Jim also mentioned the standard K3 and the CAS and NFPA. This is all state governed as to which standard is followed, correct? That's that's correct. Uh, ambulance licensing is regulated at the state level. So each individual state can choose which standard they want to follow, NFPA, CAS, or the GSA purchase spec. Some states actually say any of the three is acceptable. So if you're a purchaser and in your state, you may be able to choose any of the three. Now, I will tell you from having, from my experience, they are very, very similar. Any one of the three will give you the opportunity to purchase or build and purchase a, a safe ambulance. Uh, and standards presented an interesting piece. Uh, we keep getting back to operator side. One of the biggest arguments that we had in these standards committees was, should we put seatbelt warning systems in the seats in the patient compartment. And most operators really, really did not want those seatbelt alarms like we have in the front seat of our automobile. You know, you sit in the seat, start to back out, have the, the bells ringing and maybe a light flashing. The industry didn't want that, they didn't want the cost and they didn't want the annoyance, quite frankly. So that did not make it in the standard. But that puts the onus on the operator. Yeah, and that's and to me that's unfortunate. You know, I mean that in itself uh, probably would have done great things to you know encourage these folks in the back of the ambulance to put the belts on. It's a reminder. It's a gentle reminder, but it's an annoying reminder. And when you hear it enough times, you do it. It, it builds muscle memory. Cedric, what when you? I know you're looking to uh, to bid out some of these ambulances. What are some of the things that you're looking for in the back of an ambulance to increase the safety for your personnel? Well, definitely the uh, four-point restraint harnesses uh, for all the seated positions in the back of the ambulance. Um, the angulated corners or angulated, yeah, angulated corners um, that uh, will prevent injury in the event of a, a, a forward or a, a rear end collision. Um, you know, definitely the, the restraint system on the, the stretcher and the, the center mount stretcher. Um, you know, we have a group of ambulances, brawn units that we bought in 2012. And then we have our next batch that we bought in 2018. The 2018 ambulances are all up to standard and the 2012s are in the, uh, well, let's just say they, they're, they're needing to be remounted and refurbished. Um, and to bring those 2012s, to get them remounted, um, it, it's really going to be more of a reconstruction. Because not only are we going to remount those 2012 bronze that we have, we're going to bring them up to the latest and greatest standards that have been set forth by uh, CAS and Triple K. Um, now... Is it a more costly um, uh, remount? Yeah, yeah, it is. But I, I think we're doing the right thing by our 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 staff and our patients. You know, it's, it's what we need to do. Yeah, I, I think 
there's no question about that. And I think that we're evolving all the time. And even even airbags in the back, that's all well and good. And it's super safe. Even the manufacturer would argue we evolve into these airbags and all of these these really cool, innovative approaches. It's back to the basics of restraining yourself and your patient. If you're not restrained, you will still fly through the air and either die or end up with some sort of traumatic brain injury, and that helps none of us. And I think that with all of this data and all of these studies and all of these great things, and Cedric, like yourself being tasked with these things, uh, you know, as far as safety is concerned for our personnel, you can lead a horse to water, right? But we we need to to change the culture. We need to start realizing and recognizing that we have to take care of ourselves. And as as I've said this, that's in everything in EMS. It's not, not just the back of the ambulance. It's mental health. Uh, it's physical health, all of this. And this just falls right in line with that. There's There's so much out there for us, but until we recognize that we are in danger unless we start taking care of ourselves, these things aren't going to work. Jim? Yeah, I, Cedric hit on a really important point there, too, with the remounted ambulances. That became a big topic of discussion in the last round of updates for NFPA and CAST. Um, and they, they differ a little bit on how they approach the remounted ambulance. Uh, they're pretty consistent in saying we really need to have the new cot with the new restraints in a remounted ambulance. But they the CAST goes a little bit farther in trying to describe improvements to seats and restraints and equipment mounts. And, and uh, GSA's K doesn't address remounts at all. So they do that because GSA, the General Services Administration, that spec was written for the federal government to buy ambulances. And they only buy new. So they didn't put a section in about remounts at all. So if you're in a state that looks at the GSA purchase spec as your guidance, you won't see anything about upgrading equipment mounts for oxygen bottles or putting in a new cot. There isn't, it, it doesn't exist. So that's really a free for all in the landscape right now. There are some great remounters out there, but there are some that are uh, pretty new to any of these crash worthy components that we're talking about. So please uh, do your due diligence when you're shopping and looking to remount an ambulance. It's, it's still a very great compared to the new buy. Well, there's no question with that, Jim. There's so much to consider. And, and again, I want to thank you for coming on and bringing a little bit of clarity to how this all takes place. We're grateful at the work you're doing to ensure the safety uh, of our personnel. And, and Cedric, I, I really want to thank you for coming on to bring that human element to it as to being responsible for an entire agency's safety and how to implement those policies and those safety measures. It's not an easy task. I know it firsthand. Um, but again, I think we're all on the same page that there's a culture shift and a culture change that needs to happen that we all need to keep plugging away on as we move forward. I want to thank my guests today, Jim and Cedric. Also, I would encourage everyone to check out the seven-part video series done by NIOSH on ambulance crash test methods. It really is well done. A link is included in the podcast description section of this episode. Special thanks to Braun Ambulances, built for life. Check out their new impact airbag system at braunambulances.com. And just a reminder that EMS Expo is upon us in person, October 4th to the 8th in Atlanta, Georgia. Be sure to register today. Thanks for listening. 
I'm your host, Mike McCabe. See you next time on another episode of EMS World Podcasts. This has been an episode of EMS World Podcast. You can find this audio and more like it on the podcast page of emsworld.com. You can also follow EMS World on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. 